Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. I just got to say, it's really cool to be up here hearing the singing, rather than from the back. uh, Just amazing how good it is. We're going to, the scripture for today is from 2 John chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this love that we walk in obedience to his commands, as you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. There are some words uh, that we don't want to have to use very often. I would suggest one set of such words would be, this isn't what it looks like. Most of the time, you know, we, we go through experiences. You ever see someone at the grocery store and you're not used to seeing them at the grocery store and it takes a second for it to click that, yes, that's an actual person and they don't only exist in the work environment or they don't only exist in the church building. But when you're going to bump into someone randomly, you would hope that they would find you doing something you wouldn't be embarrassed about, right? Something that you could feel good about. Uh, one, th- one time I got really surprised uh, in the... Uh, 2014, I started preaching here the the second week of September in 2014. My last Sunday at my previous church was August the 31st of 2014. And uh, if I had it to do over again, I would have probably spaced this out by another week. But we made the decision with the two weeks I had to transition. The first entire week of that, we went on vacation with my parents. And so we had to get down here and get prepped all in about a week's time. That was stressful, but That first week, we went up to Maine. Uh, We had never been to Maine before. I guess I should say my parents had, but uh, Carolina and I had never been there before. And on Sunday, we went to worship at the Southern Maine Church of Christ. To my knowledge, I had never met any of these people before, had certainly never worshiped at this congregation before. And we were just trying to greet people and say hello and, you know, interact with the folks who were worshiping there. And my dad was talking to one gentleman and introduced himself. My dad's name is Steve Adams. And so he introduced himself and said, hi there, my name is Steve Adams. And the guy at this church that we've never been to before says, well, if you're Steve Adams, then he must be Mark Adams. And they're really excited for him to get started at King's Crossing next week. (laughs) So the way that this actually happened was, The gentleman my dad was talking to used to be a librarian at Harding University where I had gone to school. He and I did not know each other, but he happens to be related to Janice and Joyce Freeman, the the Freeman sisters who attend here. So when it was announced that I had been hired, they did a little investigative work. And so they called their friend, their relative who had worked at Harding, and he didn't know who I was. So he actually called Everett Hufford in Memphis, Tennessee at the Harding Grad School where I did my master's degree and kind of checked me out, making sure this guy's all right. And so from down here in Texas, y'all checked me out in Memphis by way of Maine. (laughs) So back to my initial point, you never really know when you're going to be caught somewhere. So 
Your preference is always to be found somewhere doing something you wouldn't be embarrassed about. So because you never know where someone might encounter you, it's always better just to do things that you can feel good about. Second John says in verse 4, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. As we explained uh, last week as we got started with this study, uh, John addresses this to the elect lady and her children. It is possible he's referring to a household. I think more likely he's referring to a congregation, referring to the church as the lady, her children as the members of the church. Either way, when we're talking about church, we're talking about family. But he references them as children. I wanted to pause for just a moment and uh, point out that uh, many are acknowledging today is what they would call Blue Sunday. Uh, Every year, the last Sunday in April is a day that they would encourage everyone to be praying for victims of child abuse and also for the people who might rescue a child from abuse. So I wanted to pause for just a moment because I think it's always appropriate to pray for such things. If you would bow with me, I just wanted to honor that today. God, we are so grateful for the many ways that you have blessed us and been good to us. Uh, Lord, today is a day that we are especially mindful of children. Uh, We know that all of us, Lord, are your children, but there are many young ones among us who are vulnerable and sometimes mistreated. And so, Lord, wherever this occurs, we pray for healing, we pray for rescue, we pray for wisdom, and we pray for a path forward. And as often, Lord, as we ourselves can be instruments of your peace in difficult circumstances, we ask you to help us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We do have numerous uh, ministries at our church uh, that are centered around families. Uh, Joe Alley has a lot of involvement with the Care Portal ministry, and I think we still ran it in the bulletin this week. We got kind of a nice award recently for our involvement with that ministry that works with families who have children who may be having kind of a hard time. I know through our prison ministry, we very proactively work at things like anger management classes to help people manage their lives better so they can take better care of their families. So we have several good ministries involved in these sorts of things, but it is something we would invite everyone to be praying about. So again, getting back to John's text here, he talks about the church, he refers to them as little children or as dear children. What we really desire to see from our children and all of our members in general would be that we are flourishing in Christ. When I read this verse, I wonder what it is that John is referring to. He says, it's brought me great joy because when he stumbled upon some of her children, some of the Christians, he found them doing good. He found something he could be happy about. And what a delight it is if you're going to bump into someone randomly to bump into them doing a good thing. And he doesn't tell us exactly how this happened. So maybe it's the case that um, in some of his correspondence with this congregation, maybe in a letter someone told him about the works of the church and he was delighted to hear about them. Or maybe he really was out and about and just discovered some Christians that were doing something good. It doesn't really matter, does it? Either way, it's a great source of joy to find people doing what they ought to be doing. And he's able to affirm them and appreciate them. He continues and says in verse 5, And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. John references this command and says it is, in fact, a very 
old command that I'm talking about uh, it has deep roots in Scripture, at least back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19 and verse 18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus will later repeat this teaching, won't he? But love your neighbor as yourself is as old as Leviticus, at least. Foundational to the law. Jesus is in a situation where he has answered one group of Jewish leaders effectively, and they've kind of shied away since they couldn't best him in a contest of wits. And so the Pharisees decided to give it their best shot, and they got an expert in the law, and they were going to try and nail Jesus with a hard question to see if he were up for it. And it says in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that all the law and the prophets, which is their way of referring to the Old Testament, everything else in the Bible hinges around these two things, he says, loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. So John references this teaching that was true in Leviticus, reiterated in the ministry of Jesus. I want you to notice something really interesting that John does here because this is, this is good leadership. Of all the ways that John could address these people, he has a lot of authority, doesn't he? At this point, he's probably the last remaining living apostle of, of the 12, of one of the 12. John is the last remaining apostle, most likely at this point. He refers to himself at the beginning of this letter as the elder, and whether that's just him saying, I'm kind of an older guy now, or maybe he's talking about the formal title or role within the church, either way, this is a guy who has whatever you want to call it, seniority, authority, deep respect from the Christian community. And as he wants to challenge them to live a better life, he doesn't say, well, you know, I've been an elder for a really long time, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do. He doesn't say, I've been an apostle, and I watched all my other companions killed one after the other, and I'm still standing, and you better hear what I have to say. Instead, what he does is he lowers himself to their level and points to the command that he says all of us need to be following. He doesn't exercise any authority at all, even though his respectability, his respect within the community was an intrinsic and expected thing, really. But John doesn't exercise authority like that. John is a humble guy who says, you know, there's these commands. They come before all of us, and all of us are still in this together, trying to love one another the way that God has called us to do. He walks alongside as a partner and a friend. He continues in verse 6, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Living lives of truth, of openness, walking in love, these are things that are foundational to all other commands, to all other principles of what we might try to do. 
Uh, something that's interesting about 2 John, we don't know exactly the occasion of it, but it is possible that 2 John was circulated as kind of an introductory letter to, to 1 John. So 1 John is the longer correspondence, and it might be the case that in sending it to a particular congregation, he wrote them their own little note to kind of introduce what else he had to say. But there's some great overlap in themes between these two letters. It says in 1 John chapter 2, listen to how similar this is. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He says, by walking, by walking in this old commandment made new in our obedience. We're pushing back on the darkness, and we see the light starting to break through in our lives, in our congregation, in every place. The light of Christ is breaking through, even though the darkness opposes it. And what he's doing, we're going to look next week as he addresses some specific false teachings that they were up against uh, in the congregation that he's writing to. But a key issue both in 1 John and in the other letters from John is what to do about teachings that are false. And he provides a standard here that I don't, I don't know if it's always the first thing that we think of. But he says, you know, the easiest way to identify something that is a false teaching or a teaching that is not of God is certainly the, the fruit of it. But the question would be, does this teaching provide me with a way out of loving people? How do you know if it's a false teaching or not? If me holding to this belief means I now have a convenient excuse why I don't have to love people or I don't have to forgive people or I can pull away from the rest of the group, if I can promote division or create division, he says the fundamental test of false teaching is not a lot of the stuff we typically camp out on. It has much more to do with whether or not we are still called to love each other first and foremost in everything else. That's the first standard you look at. If I started to buy into this, would it give me the excuse I was looking for to show a little less love and just to focus on being right about everything else? I think I may have shared this story with you before, but uh, when I was preaching in Arkansas uh, very, very uh, early in my, my ministry, um, I had been there for a couple of years at this church, and a gentleman came to church one Sunday that I had never seen before, had never met before, and um, I walked up to him to introduce myself. Uh, I believe it was after church. And he was friendly, and he told me his name. And I said, you know, are you from around here? Do you live in the community? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. And in fact, yeah, I, I kind of have Church of Christ roots, and uh, I'm, I consider myself a member of this church. Now, you're not ever going to see me. I just happened to come this one Sunday, but I don't really intend to come back. Uh, I don't like to go to church. I don't intend to be part of anything that you're doing. But I just want you to know, at the place where I work, whenever those other religious people start talking about baptism, I set them straight on it. So what's wrong with us if we think that as long as we're right, we don't have to worry about being righteous? You see the problem there? John says the love needs to come first. Our connections to each other need to come first. The other teachings build on this teaching of loving one another practicing unity with one another. And it's not okay to get everything else right and ignore the first and second most important commandments that Jesus has given us. John says that because we are called, commanded, invited, shown the importance of loving one another, he says we should cleave rather than leave. 
Does that make sense? We should stick together. We should find a way to make it through. We should value our unity more than we value getting our way. The people matter. The Christian community matters. We don't just give up on church and walk away from it. In this text that we're looking at this morning, I think there's at least two useful questions uh, that we could wrestle with. There's a couple of things that it brings up that I think are worthy of a little bit of uh, reflection. So he has this business of a commandment, and he says it's an old commandment, and it's not a new commandment, but it's also not old, and it is new, and it's kind of like, John, what exactly are you trying to say about this commandment you're talking about? The question would be, how do you make an old thing new again? If it's an old commandment, how do you make it new and fresh and meaningful? Something given so many thousand years ago, how could it still be a fresh and relevant thing? I would ask it this way. If you like watching sunrises, how many times would you watch a sunrise that you could finally say, that was enough sunrises? How many times could you watch the sun set in the evenings, if that's more your thing, to where you said, you know, I've seen the big open Texas sky change colors. That was enough time for me. From now on, put me in a room with no windows and wall me in because I don't need to see that anymore. You probably wouldn't say that. How many of you get to a point in your life where you say, you know, I've just been encouraged enough times. I received enough compliments. People have said enough good things about me. From here on out, I wish you would all knock it off. I don't need encouragement anymore. Or what about those of you who've got grandchildren? Do you ever get to the point where you say, you know, 100 hugs from my grandchild is just about right, but if they start doing 101, 102, I'm going to tell them to quit clinging to me so much. Things that are of eternal value are just always useful. They don't stop being relevant. I, I like uh, Paul McCartney's song released in 1976 talking about love songs. He says, you'd think that people would have had enough of silly love songs, but I look around me and I see it isn't so. Some people want to fill the world with silly love songs, and he asks, and what's wrong with that? I'd like to know, because here I go again. I'm writing yet another silly love song. Why do we never get tired of new songs about love? Why as Christians do we never get tired of thinking about trying to practice the love of God? Because this commandment is a very old one, but it's also just as new as today when we put it into practice. It continues to be beautiful and true. And the things in this world that are really most true and most beautiful aren't just dependent on the time in which they occur. I can look at kindness and beauty in Jesus' own life, and it's just as meaningful as kindness and beauty that I see in my own life. Jesus himself made this commandment new when he went to the cross and displayed this ultimate love. He did something beautiful with that old commandment. We can look at the examples of the Christians in the early church in the book of Acts and all the ways they found fresh and new ways to practice love and unity. But it's also true in your life and in the life of our church that when we are intentional in embracing that commandment and loving one another and finding ways to achieve unity with people we might not otherwise have any reason to be around in this world other than the love of Christ, we do these things and it becomes new and fresh 
all over again. The way that you make an old thing new is to practice it with sincerity and watch as it blooms and blossoms. A second question that I think is relevant uh, in this text has to do with what we think and what we love. You might want to protest these things coming from John and say, can you really command me to love someone or love something? Can you really command me to have faith? Another way I might ask it is, how can I believe what I don't think? How can I love what I don't feel like I love? Those are the commands, aren't they? There's things we're supposed to believe. There are people we're supposed to love. Well, what if I'm not feeling it? What if it's not just coming to me? I would say in this case, there is not a problem with the command. There is a problem with our understanding. If we believe that faith is merely intuition, then it becomes an optional thing. If faith is just a matter of, here's some ideas in my head that I think are true, or faith is maybe this instinctive thing that I just kind of have or I don't have some of the time, well, of course, if that's all that it were, it would seem like an optional thing. If you believe that love is just an emotion or love is just a feeling, then it also goes into that optional category, doesn't it? You can't always control what your feelings are. Your feelings kind of do what they want to do. I don't know about you, but very often in my life, I can get my logical mind around something long before I can get my heart in line with what it is that I wish it would want. It's not easy just to will your emotions to something. So again, if love is just an emotion, it would seem like something that's optional. But John says there is a huge connection between love, belief, and action. In his gospel, John chapter 3 and verse 36, he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Look what he's setting up as opposites. There's believing versus rejecting. The action of rejecting is contrasted to what he would really say is an action of believing, not just a thought process, but the act of living in obedience to God. This question, why don't people believe? John says here it's because they've already resolved that they don't want to obey. It's their actions that are out of alignment with their thinking. In another place, John talks about darkness and light. He says people prefer darkness because their deeds are dark and they're embarrassed of what they've done, so they have motivation to avoid the light. People don't want to come into the light because they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be found as they are because they don't feel good about what it is that they've chosen to do. I think we can correct this thinking by remembering, I'll put it this way, love is a verb, truth is a habit. Not just an emotion, not just a couple of thoughts in your head or an intuition. Love is something that you do. Truth is something that you practice. Over and over, John will tell us the importance of walking in truth, walking in love. I show my love by the things that I'm doing. I practice truth by looking at my life and organizing it based around what I believe to be true. If it is true that Jesus is risen from the dead, that will have a lot of impl implications for what I do with my schedule, what I do with my energy and my resources, how I interact in my relationships, love and truth are things that have to be manifested through what I do, not just internal thoughts or reflections. 
So something I was really challenged by in reflecting on this text is that, you know, we all go through seasons where we might feel a little unsatisfied with our faith. And I know this particular last year, I don't know about you, I in general seem to feel unsatisfied with just about everything. Like nothing feels the way it's supposed to. But when we're feeling unsatisfied with God and unsatisfied with our faith, we might ask ourselves whether or not I am having an obedience problem. And I'm not talking about all the other issues that we typically like to fight about or, or dis- debate and discuss. These fundamental commandments, if I'm feeling detached and I'm not feeling so much love, am I really obeying God's commands enough to love God with everything I've got and to love the other people around me, to be looking around me for ways that I could help someone else to flourish, to doing my part, to striving for love and for unity? My challenge for each of us this morning would simply be this. If you're struggling, use your creativity. Let God baptize your imagination and try to find some new way to say, I love you to people. We can do that in different ways, can't we? With our words, with our acts of service, with different kinds of affections, but could you find a creative new way to show people that you care about them? Take an old thing and make it a new thing. Maybe this morning you are having some struggles, and we could pray for you and encourage you. Uh, Maybe there's a response of faith that you would like to make to the gospel. Uh, One thing that we're going to begin doing again today that we haven't done in some time is that we went for a while where we just didn't extend invitations for uh, reasons of the virus, but at this point in time, uh, our elders are going to be positioned. We're going to have some, I believe, at the front, but we're also going to have them positioned around the room, and we know it's not always the case that you've got something you really want to have to go up front and talk about. Maybe you just want to pull someone aside to the back and say, hey, this is not really for everyone, but I'd like it if you would pray with me about this, or could I take a few minutes before class and talk to you about what I'm dealing with? So for those reasons, we're going to have elders positioned throughout the room, and whether you need to respond publicly or there's just something privately that you'd like to talk to someone about, uh, we want to make that available to you. But if you have need, we invite you to talk to us while together we stand and sing this song.